priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. May be seated in the presence of the Lord. Let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to stir one another and not neglect meeting together. For a few moments, I want to talk from this thought common consent. Common consent. All of us have been a part of some meeting with some organization, be it the church or a social or civic organization, or perhaps even some type of educational school meeting that just seemed to go on and on and on and on. And certain parties just felt they had to say something about everything. And they had to say something about everything that someone said about that particular thing. They felt they had to take advantage of their privilege to be heard even if they didn't have much to say other than prolonged time. In a true sense, from a political perspective, some people would call it filibuster just trying to prolong debate, hoping to wear out others so that whatever was on the agenda that they disagreed with would just simply be tabled and put on another agenda. We all have been there. But as the meeting goes on, People introduce a principle in Robert's rule of order to try to move the meeting forward, to try to speed up the process, to limit unnecessary debates. It's called common consent. It's simply saying that the particular thing that is on the agenda that is being expressed makes common sense for 
Jesus mean that I have to go through such tribulations? Is it worth it? The Bible makes it clear that they are tempted to turn back to their own faith and practice Judaism for convenience and comfort. And this letter that is written is really one big sermon that's written from some pastor. We do not know exactly who the individual who wrote this letter is, but it's written with a pastoral heart. And he's pleading with these first century Christians, please don't turn back. Please don't turn around. I know that it's difficult right now. I know that you're suffering. I know that it's not easy. I know that you're crying. I know you feel lonely. I know you feel ostracized. I know you feel like you're a sore thumb that's sticking out. But please don't turn back just because you want something that is convenient. Don't turn back just to be comfortable. Don't turn back just to be loved by the world. His argument throughout this letter is this. Jesus is better than anything the world has to offer you. And Jesus is better than any belief system that you may turn to. He says Jesus is so superior that he's superior to angels. He's superior to the Kizadak and the high priesthood. He's superior to the law. He's superior to the prophets. That he's superior to our old religious Judaism and customs and practices. He's superior to the temple. He's superior to the tabernacle. He's superior to anything that you have left behind. And I want to stop here, my brothers and sisters. Uh, no matter what you are going through and no matter what the world may be offering to you, I guarantee you this morning that Jesus is better than anything that's in your past. Jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer you. Jesus is better than anything that the world promises to you. As the old people spiritual said, you can have this whole world but give me Jesus. He's better. Uh, he's the best thing that ever happened to 
things, we got to first agree to these simple things. Says first, what are the areas in which we should have common consent? First, it says, there should be common consent to praying with confidence. Or praying confident prayers. There should be common consent to praying confident prayers. Now, embedded in that point is we already agreeing to pray. Are y'all following me? We agreeing to pray. But we are also agreeing that we will pray with confidence. Look what the Bible says in verse number 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The Bible is saying that we should draw near to God in prayer with confidence because we believe Christ is superior, because we believe in the redemptive work of Christ, we draw near to God with confidence in our prayers. Full assurance of faith. You know, my brothers and sisters, there are a lot of people who trust other folks' prayers more than they trust their own. They, 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 they believe, I need this, it amazes me. You've been in church for 50 years. Y'all don't hear me. You've been in church 50 years singing and praying in Sunday school, but when something goes bad in your life, you act like there's a particular person. That if this particular person prays for me, then I won't be all right. But if, they, but if they don't pray for me, then I, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. We have more confidence in some personalities to pray for us than we have in our own prayers. And we ought to agree this year that we're going to have confidence in praying our prayers for ourselves and for our families. Oh! 
consent to persevere in our covenantal profession. Look at verse number 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. My brothers and sisters, we need to hold on and persevere in what we profess. Today we have a lot of people who are trying to be fast. Whatever trend come up, we own it. New Year's Eve services used to be a time where people testified about the goodness of the Lord. This year, New Year's service looked like a party in some churches. More so than an opportunity to tell God, thank you for what you promised from. Many times we get so caught up in facts that we fail to hold on to what we believe. I'm not saying that there's nothing wrong with new stuff. But I'm saying there's something wrong with new doctrine. Ah, preach pastor. Yeah, let's pastor preach. I'm not saying there's something wrong with new methods. But there is something wrong with a new message. There is something wrong when we leave the tenets of orthodoxy. It is something wrong when we leave our identity in Christ and who we are as a church just simply to try to be popular with people. It is something wrong when the sermons become so uh, edited that we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to make anybody feel any kind of way to the point where we are preaching, but we're not preaching truth. And we're not speaking truth to power. But we have instead watered down our faith in order to be acceptable by people. And sometimes in the process of new things, we don't even know what we believe. Did you hear me? Sometimes in this points of being popular and having environments and people shouting and jumping and music playing, people don't even know what they believe. And since people came to church and had a good time but didn't know what they believe, they oftentimes began to adhere to another system of the Can I make this plain this morning? We have all these different systems of belief now. I look at certain things on Instagram, post on Snapchat, sometimes Facebook. People who grew up in church posting things about praying to the universe. Pray, the universe is saying this. Not God. The universe is saying this. The universe is saying that. Ask the universe. And here's my favorite. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. 
And these are people who grew up in atheist households. These are people who grew up on the streets. These are people who grew up in your Sunday school class, in your youth choir, on your youth worship board, in church every week, have been to the table and drunk from the blood and ate of the body, and now they're saying they pray to the universe. And some people don't pay any attention. And don't realize what has happened is you are no longer holding to the tenets of your faith. I began to wonder why would we pray to the universe? And then I did some research and they say, uh, because God is not in everything, God is everything. Are y'all with me? God is not in everything, God is everything. And since God is everything, then it's not right for us to paint a picture of God this, as an old, grumpy, long-beard man who we must please out of fear in which people use that image to try to control us. We get so bad, my brothers and sisters, that now even in the House of Representatives, people in prayers and won't say amen, they say AC. And them to say amen in some way is sexist. And we got to be all politically correct. And we don't know that in our effort, they're trying to be smart and trying to be deep and trying to get along with everybody. We are walking away from the tennis of our faith. Praying to the universe. We're doing what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. You're worshiping the creature more than the creator. You are more in love with the creation than the creator. What that sounds like is almost Hinduism. Hindus pray to trees and pray to uh, the sun and pray to the ground and pray to the moon because God is everything. And so now in our 
We can have new methods, but we don't need new messages. We have new trends, but we don't need new theology. We need to make sure we hold to with the faith that has been passed down to us. As the old church say, give me that old time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good enough for my mama. It was good enough for my daddy. It was good enough for grandmama. It was good enough for granddaddy. And I don't need to change it. It's still good enough for me. And I don't care what man learns. I don't care how smart we get. I don't care what scientific discoveries we make. The world has been around since God led next day let that be. And we discovered a lot of different things. But nothing that we discovered has undermined. Or nothing that we have discovered has disproven the fact that God exists. And he who comes to him must believe that he is. And that he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. But we need to also have common consent to participate in communal worship. I need to get this out real quickly. My time is up. The Bible says in verse number 25 or 24, let us consider how to share one another up in love to love and good works, not neglecting to be together. As is the habit of song, but encouraging one another. All the more because the day is drawing near. My brothers and sisters, the Bible is saying to us that we ought to have common consent. Bottom line, here it is. Y'all ready? It's deep. Don't miss it. We ought to have common consent that we're going to come to church. I'm going to let it sit there for a minute. We ought to have common consent that we're going to come to worship. Now, if you are a believer and you believe in Christ, then how can you say I'm a believer but I got time to everything else but come worship God with other believers? How is it? I ain't got to be a Go to church and be a Christian? No. But if you're a Christian, you're going to church. If you're a believer, then you're going to church because there's something about your faith and who you are that Christ lives within you and you believe it with the core of your being that you made him your Lord and your Savior. And if that's the case, then you're going to church. You're going to church. You're not going to the state assembly. And listen, in this text, some of them are not 
church. And then you come when it gets convenient. Well, you ain't got nothing else to do. Well, you ain't too tired. Well, you done call up on your sleep. Well, you, when you done got, when you feel better. When your team ain't playing. Or your team playing later on during the day. Then you got time to come to church. But if you're tired, if, if, if there's something going on at 2 o'clock, as if you got to, can't do anything before 2. But something going on at 2, and your team playing 3, then you ain't got time to come to church. But we can call you anytime and tell you to ride here and there, and you ready to go. Hold on, let me jump in some clothes. Let me get my hair fixed, get my hair on, let me find out what I'm gonna wear. We can't come to church. We ought to have come to sit just to come to church because your participation in worship helps you mature. School systems are worried about their students because they don't attend class. They know that there's no way your child can learn and progress and move to the next level if they don't come to class. Now, if a school system says attendance maps, says you can learn how to count and do math, and read and understand science and get you a job, then if it matters in school, then it ought to matter in church where you come to learn how to be a Christian, how to love your enemies, how to pray for folks that despite the illusion, how to distinguish, distinguish or establish good character in a world that is broken with sin. You can't be a good student, Mr. Glad. You can be a good Christian, Mr. Child. And then, y'all still here? Yeah. Ah, it's the first of the year. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I got to set the tone for the year. But not only that, we come with every excuse. Them church folk ain't right. They ain't nice. That preacher ain't right either. Every time you go, all they talk about is money. All they want is money. They're a bunch of hypocrites. I can't hardly get in and get out. Can't find a parking space. It's too crowded. This ain't my Sunday. But they're they're season ticket holders. To Alabama, all people that got the pass, the Indian pass to watch every game. I'm not talking about you, I got them too. And it don't matter what your experience is, you keep on going. Those tickets go up, you just pay more money. The food and the sessions there go up, and you can go get a whole pack of Oh, there's a 
Yes. Yeah. 